I mean, what's more football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful by slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube for our Wednesday afternoon show. Of course, Wednesdays could be all over the place, all sorts of fun here today. Most importantly, we get to see if Sam hits 60 miles an hour. Yeah, got a little video that we will end the show with later on, um, play it out. Maybe we'll throw the, the video up on its own you know, its own YouTube video afterwards like we did with the first one. But yes, video evidence of... The baseball endeavor will be uh, later in the show. We're also going to have a former NFL defensive lineman, Seth Payne, on the show to preview Philadelphia Eagles, Houston Texans, maybe also touch on a little bit of Phillies Astros, mm-hmm. touch on the World Series, of course. But even more importantly for me, oh God, this is the very first late 90s Jaguar yeah. to join the podcast, to become a friend of the show. And uh, I'm very excited to have Seth on here. You know, it's, it's always good to have, you know, starting defensive linemen from the late 90s Jaguars join the show here. Always. Yeah. yeah. Since, you know, Mark Brunel turned us down and everything. But, like, you know, good, it's good to have Seth here. Well, the problem with the Mark Brunel thing is you met him, you know. That, I, that put us way behind the eight ball right from, right from the start. Yeah, and he was busy. I mean, it was, was always going to be a struggle from that point. He was over there, like, you know, trying to meet up with Kevin O'Connell yeah. and, you know, very, very busy around the combine. But we shook hands and took a picture. Uh-huh. Might be the extent of my Mark Brunel interactions, but it's good to have Seth here. We're also going to go through yesterday's trade deadline. We did have an instant reaction on the PFF NFL daily already, but we got to go through the madness that was the trade deadline in the NFL. Yeah, and it actually was. You know, it's it's becoming more like the NBA. It's not, you know, it's one of those things that the NFL has kind of tried to turn into an event for years or just the nature of instant news and Twitter and all the hype and it's, it's like, oh, it's a trade deadline, and then nothing happens. Like a couple of really un- er, inconsequential players get moved for inconsequential picks, and you're like, eh, okay. But actually, big things were happening yesterday. Well, let's get right into it. Let's get right into that. And we'll have explain the grade as well. We'll do some explain the grade. So let's get right into the trade deadline. What uh, Do you have any initial high-level thoughts? I mean, I, I guess that is the high-level thought, right? The fact that teams are saying, we're going to, quote-unquote, go for it. Other teams are saying, we're going to move to the future. You mentioned the NBA. Major League Baseball has a ton of trade deadline activity, but it's easier for baseball because they have a minor league system, right? And the general tenor of that, you know, up to the deadline is you give up the future, you give up your, you know, minor league players for for major league players, right? And it's like you have buyers and sellers. The NFL is less clear cut. It's in a parity driven league. Uh, you know, teams that are three and five or four and four still probably feel like they've got playoff aspirations. And the future is draft picks. And draft picks are, you know, generally held pretty close to the vest for a lot of teams. But I think we are seeing teams open up a little bit more and really try to pursue players over picks. I think it's just very complicated in the NFL because you have a few different things at play. You have, okay, are you trying to win now? Are you trying to win in the future? And then are you trying to win now? How much are you willing to sacrifice to win now? Because, you know, we were talking upstairs about 
the late 90s Jags, the early 2000s Texans. And at that stage, they knew with the salary cap, you know, teams didn't really know what the hell they were doing. And there were a bunch of teams that were legitimately in salary cap hell for several years because of incompetence, essentially. They, they couldn't a, get out of it. Right. right. They didn't know how to. In a way yeah. that simply doesn't happen anymore, right? A, a bunch of teams back then were the te- were what everybody thinks the New Orleans Saints are now every year, which is, oh, the Saints are in salary cap hell. Look at how many millions they're over the cap. It's like, yeah, but that's no, because they're going to clear all that. They're going to pay off the credit card, and then they're going to re-up. Like, this is how the Saints do it. They're never in salary cap hell. This is just how they treat the salary cap. So, you know, now teams are all good enough with the salary cap that very rarely is a team in legitimate salary cap trouble. Now, they might be close enough against the cap that they can't make one specific large move, but nobody is sitting here in just a salary cap nightmare where they're going to have to strip down the roster to nothing, purge it, start over completely. Even teams like the Bears, like they were in up against the salary cap, but they weren't like we have to blow up this entire team, otherwise we can't even function next year financially. They just stripped it down because that's the easiest and most efficient way of building it back up. Um, but the late 90s and the early 2000s, there were teams absolutely in salary cap hell. So now, you know, I don't think anybody is in that much danger of like, let's just completely mortgage the future. Like to right. hell with years two, three, four, and five, we will f- settle through five years where we don't win a game because this is the year. Like we're winning a championship now nobody's acting that way so it's a much more delicate balance between how much of the future are you willing to give up you know how much sort of lack quote like lack of value are you willing to have in this trade because you get better right now it's it's a sort of interesting you know balance between all these trades so one of the team that's teams that's uh that is that is going for it that is being aggressive miami dolphins bringing in bradley chubb for a first round pick next year also a fourth round pick um they give up a fourth round pick and also chase Edmonds running back Mm -hmm. they get Bradley Chubb and a fifth round pick back um, in 2025 from the Broncos but Bradley Chubb coming into a Dolphins team that is already their number seven number nine sorry in pass rush grade so far this season and the on paper edge rusher depth chart for the Dolphins is loaded you've got Jalen Phillips in year two um, who's really developing and has been really good this season. Andrew Van Ginkle, who's got a history of rushing the passer pretty well. Melvin Ingram, a veteran that they brought in on the cheap, like other teams have done and have gotten good play out of. And Emmanuel Ogba, who they just re-upped for over $16 million a year this offseason. He has largely not been productive this year. They, it, that looks like a bad overpay so far because he was coming off a career year. But they have they already had four guys. Now, Ogba's moving around, playing inside, whatever, but they brought Chubb in to be that next guy Chubb's in the middle of his own career year he's never been an elite pass rusher despite some thinking he was Miles Garrett-esque coming Mm -hmm. out of college he's been a good solid player who's had some durability issues for the Broncos but it's an aggressive move for the Dolphins a team that's relying more on their pass rush this year than they have in years past because they're uh, playing a little bit more zone needing to win with their front four but what were your initial reactions to Chubb for a first round pick by the way where Miami has now forfeited their own pick, traded the other pick that they got from the Niners, right, yeah. from the Niners, and now they have no more first-rounders. Their only first-round pick, essentially, because yeah. of the, uh, <laughs> the tampering uh, missteps, shall we say. This is the most interesting trade to me because it's a good example of what I was just talking about. In theory, from Miami's point of view, I like this trade the least because of the cost they gave up to make it happen, the fact that they're going to have to pay him significant money when they've already got guys like Ogba on the hook, et cetera, et cetera. There's, we'll get to the reasons in a minute. But 
the bottom line being Bradley Chubb makes them reasonably significantly better this year and absolutely materially makes a difference to their chances of winning a Super Bowl right now, you know? Um, and I think it's, it's, not, it's not a coincidence that, you know, Buffalo add Von Miller largely because he makes a difference to whether or not they can beat the Chiefs. Um, you know, that's what everybody's shooting for. Miami, they know they can beat Buffalo because they already did it. Weird game a little bit, but still. They are looking at the same thing and saying, well, we need to figure out how to beat the Chiefs and the Bills in the playoffs because that's what's going to happen if they get that far. Um, and a guy like Bradley Chubb makes a difference to that. He will help in that endeavor. The only question is, is it worth what you had to give up to make that happen? And that's where I think it gets a little bit more debatable. But this is why, like, every single trade that happened yesterday, in not one of them is there, like, a massive glaring winner and an idiot team, you know? Every single one of them, you can at least understand and make an argument for why the, the quote-unquote losing team did what they did. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're describing is not so much win-wins, but just different different strategies. I, I have to stay consistent here because the historic strategy of taking a first-round pick who's due his fifth-year option or is due to get paid and flipping him for a first-round pick, I think over time is outstanding business. So from the Broncos' perspective, other, other teams, I think it's outstanding business. And it's not that I don't like Bradley Chubb as a player. I think he's solid. But, even, but if you look at what he's actually returned on the field, uh, using PFF war, he's never been better than 28th in the NFL. Uh, it, war is a volume-driven stat, so the injury's kind of baked into that. He's had two years where he's had very limited time on the field. And like I said, he's never been elite as a pass rusher or as a run defender. He's been better in both this year. But he was supposed to be this, like, hammer against the run who's a good pass rusher. And he hasn't been that. Um, I mean, I think he was he's a guy who I think was overrated as a draft prospect. Right. So there was a big debate. He goes number five overall in 2018. There was a big debate about the Browns taking him at four. They took Denzel Ward instead. I think that was the right move. But him going at five felt a little inflated even at that time. Yeah, he was always a good rather than a great pass rusher, even at the college level when you're comparing him to some of these other top prospects. And then you add in all the injuries that he's had at the, at, in the NFL level. And this is by far the best season of his career. If you're looking to paint an optimistic picture, you'd be like, well, it's the first time he's been healthy. This is the real Bradley Chubb. Like, this is who you're going to get sure. going forward. I mean, number one, I would say that's a fairly optimistic outlook of the whole thing. Um, but number two, even this year, it's, I mean, it's not that good. He leads the team in sacks, right, with six. So if you're of the inclination that believes sacks is all you need to pay attention to for an edge rusher, fine. He also leads him in pressures, but that's because he has by far the most pass rushes. He's been good. I, mean, we, I would argue he's the third most effective Denver edge rusher this year. On a per-play basis. Yes. yes. He's been less effective than Randy Gregory. He's been less effective than Baron Browning. His pass rush win rate is like half either of those guys. When you look at it on a per-snap basis, even his pressure rate is lower than those other two guys. I, um, I don't think we need to like downgrade his performance this year Bradley Chubb has been good that's fine right but we need to like but, but good is not great like let's be clear about what we're talking about here sure. is that even the most optimistic outlook of Bradley Chubb you're getting a good player you're not getting a great one now so th so from the Broncos perspective the other deals that have happened in the past that I've that I've liked was the 49ers trading to Forrest Buckner before they had to pay him to the Colts mm -hmm. um, and then for a first round pick now, they haven't directly replaced DeForest Buckner yet, but I think we've seen them essentially get their defensive line up to comparable when they're healthy, right? 
Um, and, and they would have had a money issue with Buckner and Bosa and Armstead. They, they couldn't sign everybody. So I liked that as a deal. You get four years of first-round service time out of a guy. You flip him for a somewhat equivalent first-round pick. Now, this won't be an equivalent number five overall pick here. Right. But I think this works out for the Broncos in the long term. And for the Dolphins, it's intriguing to see the fact that they have five guys that you would call edge rushers that you can move around, uh, create some havoc up front, and rush the passer. But it is, it's a go-for-it move for the Dolphins. These are go-for-it moves because they, they're going to have to pay Chubb. Presumably, they're going to have to pay him as well on the back end. I, I love this move from a Denver perspective because I don't think they should have paid him, even if they kept him going forward. You know, if he had the, finishes this year the way he's playing this year, I don't think you should pay him the money he's going to be due next year anyway. So you would be letting him walk. Okay, you get the compensatory draft pick. So is half a season's of play, half a season's worth of play where you're not good worth the upgrade from what a, a third round pick potentially to a first round pick moving in the fourth slash fifth round picks across uh, two years and Chase Edmonds? I would say absolutely hell yes. So from Denver's point of view, I think this is a no brainer. From Miami's point of view. It's more complex because you did. You've given up the only first-round pick you're going to have. Um, but, we, you know, is Bradley Chubb in, in a vacuum worth a first-round pick? Maybe. You know, if you're going to get this guy going forward, sure. But you're about to have to pick up, you know, a big contract. On, and, it's, and he's not, you know, he isn't great. He's good. So it's not the equivalent of the A.J. Brown deal, you know, where you're paying a first-round pick for a guy that's immediately about to step in and be a top-five player at his position, completely transform what you have at that spot, and it's worth the contract and the first-round pick. That's not what we're talking about here. It's like, is it worth the first-round pick to get a guy that's good, will we'll upgrade your position, but you have to come with that giant contract, and it probably hurts you long-term given the, the, the resources you already have located in various areas in that roster. That, I think, is more debatable. So I think they, it's not like they've completely mortgaged the future for this year, but it's definitely a this year focused move of, you know, we'll take a percentage on this year and we'll lose a percentage the next sort of four. I think comparing anything to A.J. Brown is going to be unfair. And what's in what but makes like, the but, Eagles yeah. look really good in this whole. But equation. my point being. You know, it's one thing to trade a first-round pick for a guy for the, the proven commodity of somebody that you know is not just good, but really good. And the difference on Denver's perspective, like the other moves you're talking about of trade away Buckner, replace him with uh, Javon Kinlaw, trade away Stephon Diggs, replace him with Justin Jefferson. Like the difference there is Denver doesn't need to spend the first-round pick on his replacement. In theory, the replacement's already there. They've True, got yeah. Baron Browning. They've yeah. got Nick Benito. They've got, like, they've got edge rushers right. sitting there. And, by the way, they already traded for somebody, Jacob Martin. Um, so they don't need to spend that first round. That's the thing I don't like about that strategy is if you trade away a guy for a first-round pick and then have to use that first-round pick on the guy's replacement. Yeah, I don't want to have to do that. Right. Which, yeah, I so agree. Denver aren't. So this right. move from their perspective I think is basically flawless. From Miami's perspective, I think it gets a, much, it gets a lot more debatable because – Chubb is good, not great. Picture it, Sam. Your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession are slim. The stakes are high. Tension's higher. Your pulse, it's racing. He kicks it, bounces up, pops up in the air. 
I don't know what's going to happen, but you can make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers right now. New customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check it out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. And to make things even sweeter, you could throw down on those stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using the code PFF. All right, let's talk about the Bears a little bit and what they've done. Well, hang on. So what we're going to do about these. First of all, I want to hear your take on whether or not the Miami thing is, what it looks like from a Miami's perspective and whether they have incorrectly or ill-advised mortgage the future for this year. Number two, we have to give a winner for each trade. Oh, we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is like, I'm over here pushing back. I got Dan Orlovsky who wakes up on a Monday morning and just feels the need to throw declarations out into the air. Okay. Jalen Hurts is the best decision maker in football. It's not just Dano. This is this is sports it's, media these it's days. It's sports media. It's everybody. But Chris Dan, Sims. Chris Sims. Oh, Sims. <laughs> Your Sims. Kenneth Walker is the best running back in the NFL. You saw it yesterday. In the you NFL. You saw it yesterday. How could you argue it happened yesterday? Kenneth Walker is the best running back in the NFL. I don't want to play that game, Sam. I don't. If we have to sit here with merely millions and millions of listeners and we don't grow, I'm willing to make that sacrifice in order to not become that. Let's make this uh, you know, declaration. Whatever I saw yesterday, whatever I saw 10 minutes ago is the thing. I mean, just, just like... Oh, just pick a winner? No, no, no. But the Kenneth Walker thing, right? I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, in, I'm there. It, it's, it's worked. I've been suckered in by the idiotic statement and i'm there let's get right? chris. we like chris we got a great relationship with nbc let's get him on the show kenneth walker is averaging 5.4 yards per attempt he has five touchdowns he's averaging 3.6 yards after contact he's broken he's really good 27 tackles these are all really good numbers they're also all paling in comparison to nick Chubb's numbers right like just that one guy there's no conceivable argument you can make that says kenneth walker is better than nick chubb right now to one guy. Maybe you misinterpreted Chris Sims' premise. I didn't. I didn't. He literally, they, he, now, to be fair, to be fair to him, somebody else articulated the argument that he had made off camera. And he was like, yeah. So he didn't come out and be like, I tell you what, this guy's the best running back in the NFL right this second. Like somebody else basically said, hey, you were saying you think he's the best. And they was like, yeah, okay. So he might not have volunteered the information himself, but he still has the thought, which is bad enough. You know? Yeah. It's wrong. It's wrong. Look, there's a lot of room for debate in these things, but he isn't. Oh, Dan, Dano had the... Uh, yeah, what was Dano's Kellen thing? Moore. Too. So it was uh, Jalen Hurts is the best decision maker in football. Okay. Uh, Kellen Moore had the was the best play caller in the NFL yesterday or something like that. Yesterday. Sunday, right? Well, that's which an easy means, one to argue. Which means Dan, on his flight back from England, somehow watched literally every single play in the NFL... Which and in his brain, sorted this whole thing out and said, Kellen Moore, number one, everyone else behind him. Which feels a little unlikely given he couldn't figure out how to watch the game in London when he was there. Couldn't find Thursday night football in London. Just saying. To the point where Twitch ripped him a new one. Yeah. You know? So, uh, so hang on. That, we've taken down Chris Sims. We've taken down Dano. Who's next? Emmanuel Acho was talking about how the Miami Dolphins, they're just, they're just hitting home run after home run. Every move they made, it's perfect. Everything. I don't even want to acknowledge <laughs> any take 
from Emmanuel Acho <laughs> because he has gotten to a level of extreme. When Dan, I, I'm joking with Dan O because I think he brings... Dan O believes what he says. He I does. Have, Dan a, believes what he says. I have like respect for that. I think he watches the film. Yeah. He grinds it and all that stuff. And he was... And, and he knows to go like a little over the top. That's part of right. the game, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So like the Jalen Hurts thing... His premise is right. Like Jalen Hurts has been fantastic. Yeah. His premise is correct. And if you're working, and he presents a, it as like a little over the top. And if you're working on a TV broadcast like that, you are being encouraged. Um, to, Emmanuel you know, Acho, if we, would roll in here and be like, Sam Monson has the best hair in sports media. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the type of take he would bring to the table here. Mm -hmm. He would see you, like say you hit 60 miles an hour in the video later. He would see you hit 60, and be like. I think he's got 90 in him. I think Sam's got 90 in him. Maybe. I believe it. You know? Well, look, I mean, that, I'm just saying, like, nothing, they don't, so I'm not even going to acknowledge. Enough steroid cycles, you know, who knows? It's true, maybe. You've got the potential. Also, maybe you know, the potential in you. learning how to pitch. Who knows what extra's in there? That's, you're a moldable clay. Yeah. That's what you are here. So, but, so my, that's all I'm What saying. I was going to say. What I, did he say? I disagree a lot with Dano and with Chris Sims, but both guys, I believe, believe what they say and i right. have an immediate higher level of respect for anybody that believes what they say even if what they say is crazy than people that are out there deliberately faking it and making bullshit up and don't believe it i skip bayless. hate that <laughs> yes I, I hate skip bayless and everything he stands for yeah. i hate it with a fiery passion of a thousand supernovas i hate that it exists and i hate that it works and i hate anybody that goes down that approach of just spouting something that they know will be provocative, even if they know it's bullshit. And I suspect Emmanuel Acho falls into that category. Yeah, he's got that playbook. a lot of his takes. He's got that playbook. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, those are three people that had takes. What the hell were we talking about before that? I was going to Who grade, won the trade? This was me pushing back on grading, uh, grading and who won the trade. Um, I'm, I would say, you know, winners and losers. What, what are they really? But I like the, <laughs> I like the Broncos. <laughs> Look, the millennials don't believe in winners and losers. Webster's Dictionary defines winners. As I like I like the Broncos' end of this deal. Yes, right. Denver For me, it's easier it's easier to believe in the future and the idea that I'm probably not going to pay this guy twenty million dollars a year. So we're going to get a first round pick for a guy that we're not going to sign. Yeah, Denver won price. the trade, but to Miami. But I get it. I understand it from both sides. Yeah, to Miami's credit, they are better this year, and they obviously think they can win this year. Yeah. But there's risk, a lot of risk attached to it, because you're probably going to sign him for a lot of money. It's going to make that Emmanuel Ogba 16 million APY look really bad. Right. And at some point, I mean, two is playing well enough. At some point, you're going to pay Tua, right? And you're not going to want to have when you start to get guys above 10 million. How many guys do you have above 10 million on your roster? You have Jerome Baker making over 12. You have Ogba. It's going to be tough. Yep. From a money standpoint, I want to discuss the Bears, though. Okay. Can I discuss the Bears? Sure. And what they've done. Um, we already did a PFF NFL Daily on their two other trades. Robert Quinn to the Philadelphia Eagles. Roquan Smith going to the Baltimore Ravens. It looked like a fire sale yep. in Chicago. This is the first time they're buying. And now they're buying. They get Chase Claypool from the Pittsburgh Steelers for a 2023 second-round pick. Did we ever get the actual report if it's the Ravens no, or it's if there, it's the Bears? It's there. So it's, it's a high second-rounder. Well, higher than the Ravens' second-rounder. Probably. Um, from a Steelers' perspective, I'll use the same analysis. I think this is great, right? You spent a two on Claypool. You got a two a few years later um, to get a shot at a player. I think over time that stuff works. Yeah. For the, the Bears, why did they become buyers for Chase Claypool is 
the the thing we're asking right now. I'm John, not saying negatively. I'm just saying like what 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 is their reasoning here if you're the Bears? John Helmkamp on Twitter had a tweet that I just liked as a summation of this. Ryan Poles literally passed on George Pickens with both of his 2022 second round picks to then trade a 2023 second round pick for the guy that Pickens made irrelevant in Pittsburgh. When you look at it like that, there's some perspective there. (laughs) There is some perspective. When you lay it out like that, it doesn't sound great, you know? Yeah, it doesn't. Other than the fact that they did have the two second rounders that they got. One is the great Jaquan Brisker. The great. Right. Oh, yeah. He's in he's in the great category. He's in in the Villanueva territory. Yeah. I mean, you see that interception he had Monday Night Football after getting kicked in the dick. Yes. Right. He bounces back. Right. Takes on bouncing. Yeah. Balls goes (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I have no pun here. I'm not going to try. Okay. But he made a great catch. Yeah. On the pass that allegedly hit the uh, wire that was 15 feet above where the ball was. But Correct. anyway, um, Brisker and Kyler Gordon. So the other way, the other perspective is you have Jaquan Brisker, Kyler Gordon, and Chase Claypool with three, with three second-round picks. Yeah. Although the Pickens-Claypool comparison is an interesting one. It's another one where I think the selling team, it clearly makes sense. Like for Pittsburgh to cash in on a guy that had fallen down the depth chart that wasn't as big of a, uh, a factor in the offense that he used to be and probably wasn't ever going to work out into being something more than he is right now, getting the second-round pick back, essentially, that you spent on him, perfect. Brilliant deal. Then you go, okay, what are the Bears doing? So why would they make a move like this, particularly when they're a team that has been selling throughout the entirety of this? Um, and, you know, it doesn't make a ton of sense, except... Chase Claypool, we saw what he did as a rookie. He is huge. He's got speed. He's got physicality. He's got incredible ability at the catch point, even if it's inconsistent. He's the definition of a can-do player, you know, and there's a lot of people in the NFL that love guys like that. But also what I think is intriguing is Chicago can offer him the kind of um, showcase that nobody else can. Well, the Packers, I suppose, but like, Chicago can go out here and say, you might be the number one option in this offense. Yeah. Like, go out there and show what you can do if you're the alpha. You know, not, you're not behind Deontay Johnson and George Pickens and anybody else in that roster. Like, you're our number one guy. Go out there and show us that you can be a legit star for this offense and for Justin Fields. Nobody else can give him that kind of showcase. And maybe it looks exactly the same, just scaled up for volume. But maybe given a better opportunity and a better, um, you know, volume role, all of a sudden, the occasional bad play doesn't matter as much because he's catching six instead of, you know, one or two. I mean, you describe um, mostly negatively the NFL looking at can-do players and maybe getting blinded by them. But of all the positions where you would buy into, this guy can do A, B, and C. He's not as good at X, Y, and Z, but he can do A, B, and C. Receiver's one of those positions where you can at least say, this guy's big and fast and he can win at the catch point sometimes. I'm going to tap into that part of a skill set. If you're a highlight reel player, that's what you're describing with can do. If you're a highlight reel player, that doesn't work on the offensive line, right? Because you're stuck. Like you're there every single play. And if you're just good at like screen blocks, you're going to get exposed in, you know, every other part of the game. But as a receiver, if you're just a part of the entire passing attack, it is easier to say, here's this guy who's 6'4, 238, runs fast. Like, we have a spot for that, right? And um, I do think he'll have an opportunity to be featured here as the true two to Darnell Mooney or one and 1A, and maybe we'll see if he can expand that role. But if Claypool just becomes a downfield threat, which is what he looked like he was going to be after year one, then that's worth the, that's worth the shot there, right? He's, he is, for a guy that has that size, he's caught 41% of his contested targets in his career. 
I think I remember, like you remember week one of his rookie season, he's balling out at the catch point and all that stuff. He's inconsistent there, but he does have big playability. And I think the Bears can tap into that. And it makes it intriguing as they run the ball as, mu- as often as they are. The play action game with Claypool and with Mooney, it might have something there. So that's worth a shot. So I think they're, they're looking, they said it's worth a second round pick in the future in our rebuilding effort to get a receiver in now so that we could see how he meshes with Justin Fields. We could do, do well by Justin Fields here. And also, this is a shot at a receiver that we're going to take. Um, but we're just going to do it a year early instead of waiting until next year. Yeah, and I think the inconsistency or the bad plays become a smaller problem if all of a sudden you're catching an awful lot more. Like, it's if you get two targets a game and you make a mess of one of them, that's a problem, right? Because 50% of everything that goes your way is a waste of time. Yeah. If you're getting 10 targets and you make a mess of one of them, that's a much smaller problem. Even if you make a mess of two of them, it's a smaller problem. Like, you know what I mean? So I think there's a chance that he ends up being a better player in a higher volume role than he is in Pittsburgh. The other thing is, I don't generally like the idea of playing with house money or the attitude of playing with house money if you have extra draft picks. But even after making this move, Chicago is going to have a first, second, third, two fourths, two fifths, and a seventh round pick in the draft. You know, they're still well stocked with draft picks to make all these moves. So I think in that context, a second round pick for Chase Claypool is it's a reasonable roll of the dice. I would have liked it more if it was a lower, you know, a pick a, a pick around lower. But they don't have right, true. You know. um, and I'll just say too, you accumulate these draft picks. Even Miami too, they've accumulated a ton of draft capital the last few years. Um, and Miami's actually hitting a point where a lot of those first rounders are going to start to get paid, but they're probably, well, they would be getting paid. They're just not getting second contracts, a bunch of them. But when you accumulate draft capital, not just so you can make picks, but so you have versatility to trade them, to make the picks, to trade down, whatever it is. The Bears have been stockpiling picks, as you said, so you can you can spend a little bit to, uh, to trade, right? To trade for players. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get into the Lions and the Vikings making another trade together. But first, if I can find my read here. Even though best ball mania has ended, underdog fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their pick'em game. Just look at your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than the number in this week's game. And you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it so simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. You pick between two and five players for your pick entry, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's that simple to get started. Just head to underdogs, uh, underdogfantasy.com or download the app, sign up with promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. Sam, one of the most intriguing trades of yesterday, Calvin Ridley going from the Atlanta Falcons to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Did I paste the, uh, the, the terms, right? We need some time here. Mm. We need some times for the terms of the Calvin Ridley trade. As a reminder, Calvin Ridley suspended for the year for betting on the Falcons in part to beat the Jaguars yeah. as part of a parlor. Ironically. <laughs> yes. If you can't beat them, join them, as they say. Um, in exchange for Calvin Ridley, the Falcons would receive a 2023 fifth-round pick and a 2024 conditional fourth-round selection, sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter. The conditional pick would become a third-rounder if Ridley reaches certain incentives in 2023, or it could become a second rounder if he signed to an extension. So there's a lot of conditions here, including if the Jaguars feel good enough about Calvin Ridley to sign him as an extension, it becomes a second round pick, which I think from, I mean, from the Falcons perspective, it's great. You know, you're going to move on from him anyway. And 
you know, the better he does, the better you do. And if you're the Jaguars, the better he does, the better you do, right? I mean, if you like Calvin Ridley enough to extend him, that seems to be worth the second round pick for isn't there also a wide receiver one. Isn't there also a condition based off when they reinstate him? Yeah, I might I might have I, I read, I, I read whatever's well. limited here. Yeah. Whatever's on ESPN.com. I, I didn't have time. We don't have time to go through <laughs> all of the conditions though. No. You know? But there's a lot of conditions attached to this one. Um for both picks that they've given up. Yeah. But I don't think it really changes the bottom line because I think the conditions are fair. You know, they they scale proportionally relative to how good it is for Jacksonville. So the better it is for them, the more they're giving up, which I think is ultimately the right idea. Like that's that's the purpose of those things. Um, but I think it's great for Jacksonville. Like they're effectively buying low on a guy that's proven he can be a really good starting caliber wide receiver that can win at all levels of the field and finally give them some legitimate weapons on the outside in addition to Christian Kirk who primarily works you know best from the slot all of a sudden you've got a receiving core that's starting to come together yeah I think I think for the Jaguars the one next piece there because I for the last six shows I'm like get Trevor Lawrence an X receiver I don't think Calvin Ridley's necessarily that guy and when I say X I mean like the number one receiver that you're going to rely upon so this is where it gets interesting as you're building this receiving core in Jacksonville. Ridley had three really, really good seasons. Uh, peaked in 2020, averaged over 15 yards per catch, had over 1,300 yards, 85 receiving grade. Um, Julio Jones was, what, in and out of the lineup that year, I believe. So they relied on him more. But when they, like, really put more on his plate last year, wasn't all that productive. It was, it was a, it averaged nine yards per catch, and, and was coming, it was in the middle of his worst season last year. But as a complementary piece, you have a Christian Kirk, you have a Calvin Ridley, and Ridley's a very good route runner. You mentioned all levels of the field. He can, he can win down the field, right? Is there one more receiver now that they can draft, get into the building there? Um, just you got to load up on playmakers there to get the most out of Trevor Lawrence because Lawrence is starting to run out of time before we're yeah, – not yeah, I mean, like we see Geno Smith come, come good like 10 years later, but <laughs> if you're going to make the most of Trevor Lawrence's rookie contract, you better – add more pieces and this is a great move to add a huge complimentary piece for next year for the jaguars yep hang on we didn't do who won the last trade what was it what was the last trade what did we just talk about we just talked about claypool steelers correct steelers absolutely won i mean the steelers gave up their third wide receiver yeah for a second second round pick pick. that's a huge win for pittsburgh absolutely absolutely so Good job by the Steelers. We don't say enough nice things about the Steelers on the show here. I think they also did a good job with the William Jackson deal. They did. They got, okay, they picked up. A, it's a pretty big contract they're picking up, so that's not great. But a lot of it's paid. Yeah, um, I a think lot of it's, it's paid, a pretty cheap and it's not, flyer. It's basically costing them, I mean, effectively nothing, right? It's a they're swapping conditional sixth slash seventh round picks. Like you're you're moving up, uh, or Washington is moving up in a low round in 2025 to get this contract off their books effectively is what we're talking about there so from Pittsburgh's point of view who has a need in the secondary that's a good roll of the dice so I just want to so the William Jackson thing if you remember historically first round when uh Jackson came out with 2017 was it uh the the Bengals pick William Jackson a pick in front of the Steelers and all the reports where the Steelers wanted William Jackson and then they decided to go with the next corner, which was Artie Burns out of Miami, which felt like a bit of a stretch at the time to get yeah. Artie Burns. We loved William Jackson. It was great. And then uh, they get Artie Burns instead. So, you know, six years later. 
And they get their guy. The best plays that William Jackson has ever had were against Pittsburgh when he was covering Antonio Brown for a couple of games yeah. in his second season. I think the Steelers are big winners. Trade deadline. Write that down. Remember that day. I already tweeted it yesterday. Steelers win. Yeah. They won trade deadline. The unfortunate day. part is no Steelers. Fa- I mean, well, actually, they can see you if you muted them. Yeah. All the people that you muted will still see them. Oh, I you just don't see them, them whinging yeah. about it. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so the Ridley thing. I, I Atlanta, obviously, it makes sense. Like, you're probably not bringing them back at this point. You've already up, uh, upgraded. You've changed. You've gone a different direction. Kyle Pitts, Drake London. You have your receivers going forward. So they're getting something for nothing, I guess, in their in their eyes. For Jacksonville, you're buying low because the dude's suspended and can't play. His value is cratered. Um, you're buying low on a guy that could come in next year and be your best wide receiver or very minimum be you know your Devonte smith if you go and draft an elite wide receiver or if you find another guy like that's i think a great move for them as well this is one where i think it is it's win-win now it's win-win yeah you're over here making i mean drew from the chat is is right like why do we have to frame this in terms of winning and losing because you said to because everybody has to win and lose everybody okay. always always has why to can't everybody just win can't happen Everybody's in different. That's uh, how life works, Steve. Different there's winners life and there's losers. And if you're not a winner, this is kind of win-win. You're a loser. All right, we got to do T.J. Hawkinson to the Vikings for a second-round pick and a 2024 third-round pick. I think something went back in exchange, but Lions given up on former first-round pick T.J. Hawkinson. They get a second and a third in return. The Vikings get some insurance for Irv Smith, who's now banged up and hurt. And man, it's yeah. a nice little weapon to add to Justin they, Jefferson and Adam Thielen. They give up so. They give up a 2023 fourth, and they get a 2023 second. So they've moved down. The, the Lions move down, or move up, rather, two rounds in the 2023 draft. And then they also give up a 2024 third and get back a 2024 fourth. So they move down a round in the 2024 draft, but up two rounds in the 2023 draft and get rid of Hawkinson. That feels pretty good from the, from the Vikings' perspective. Yeah. I mean, they bring in, yes. It, they, because the, the Vikings are, they're not losing draft picks. They're losing space, round, like round, rounds, right? Only, only really. At a point they're... in the draft, the second round's valuable, but at, once you get into third and fourth, you're talking about not a huge yeah, drop like off. You're, you're moving down two rounds next year, and you're moving up one round the, next, the year after that, but in a lower capacity to get TJ Hawkinson. I mean, in the right to pay Hawkinson. Yes. And the contract. Obviously. That's the other that's the other perspective. Which is here. so the difference between this one, like my or Minnesota is getting a player that should probably feature pretty heavily because Irv Smith is injured again and maybe Hawkinson becomes their tight end of the future going forward, but you're about to have to pay him a big contract. From Detroit's point of view, where this differs from the Bradley Chubb deal of getting rid of a guy that you probably weren't going to be paying anyway is you're not getting a first-round draft pick back. You're getting like a juggling of, of position in the next couple of drafts over rounds that happen on day two onwards. This is very different uh, in compensation terms versus the Bradley Chubb deal. Uh, Hawkinson went number eight overall, and um, our draft guy, Mike Renner, is like anti-first-round tight end. The one guy he wanted to break, break that rule for was Kyle Pitts. And even that, if you're like, hey, is Kyle Pitts really bringing back the value of a quote-unquote tight end? Maybe not yet. Maybe not yet. But either way, Hawkinson went eight overall. The history of tight ends is that they do take time to get going, right? Is this The Vikings, I think, are just shrewd in this sense of get your tight ends once they're into the league four or five years, if you can. And for not a huge price tag as far as draft picks go, 
yeah, you're probably going to have to pay him as we talked about. But at this point, the, the, the t- tight ends around the NFL, it's about haves and have-nots. There's not a lot of haves around. Hawkinson is breaking out maybe into one of the guys, right? Like into that top 10 where the rest of the league is like really iffy I mean, at that position. I mean, the other thing is contracts for tight ends aren't that expensive They're not crazy, still. right. Like, okay, let's assume he's not going to be in the Darren Waller, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey kind of range because he's just not that good a player. Let's put him more in the David and Joku, Dawson Knox kind of ballpark, optimistically. I mean, those guys are on $13 million a year, which is, I mean, it's not insignificant, but it's not, you know, Tyree Kill's on like $30 million a year, right? right? That's, that's an outlay you have to think about. $13 million a year for a guy that is 25, and if you're going to lock him up long-term, if you think he can be like a pretty valuable part of your offense – all right, it's not cheap, but it's not crippling either. Uh, who wins this? I, I like it for the Vikings. Yeah, it has to be a Vikings win, I think. I think so, because the draft capital not enough, given up yeah. is not crazy. It's just not enough coming back from Detroit's point of view for them to be real winners. And I'm not saying the Lions had to get like a first-round pick for their former first-round pick, but it feels much better for like a... But if they just got a Bradley second... Bradley Chubb was a first, and you got a first back. Yeah, or even a second. Yeah. Like if they just got a second-round pick, a pure second. the end. Yeah. Like if it was TJ Hawkinson for a second-round draft pick end of story i think they work out better and it also just feels like one where the vikings are putting it through their trade calculators and making sure that they're getting just enough back and everything crazy yeah he's put Qua- it, it just feels like quasi has got like six computers going through running and yeah big take on the model yeah yeah why don't you just throw in a little uh you have know, you hit up crazy about the model i haven't yet feels like a man that would entertain the conversation yeah, I'll, I'll talk to crazy yeah. about it you might ask you some questions that i don't know if you're prepared to answer though which should you know. I mean, other than saying linear, <laughs> I don't have much of an answer on the how. Flatten it. Yeah. yeah. I flattened it, ran it linearly, uh-huh. and uh, the results are good. <laughs> Perfect. Um, all right. Seth Payne is probably coming in soon. If he's, uh, if he's on time, we got him in three minutes here. So we have to get to... Explain the grade. How many, how many trades did we just ignore here? A few. All right. We'll talk about them. But they were the go. less cool ones. Yeah. We'll talk about them more as we go here. We need the explain the grade segment. Which all right. Let's get to hit, explain hit the, the grade. Um, I'm sure PSF will have me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. I do hope there's sound attached to that. I think there's supposed to be, and I would have thought we'd hear it through the earpiece today. But yeah, I didn't hear any not. sound. Anyway, the on? two explain the grade things for today. Number one, Jair Alexander, Green Bay Packers cornerback. Sunday Night Football, there's a big thing being made of Jair and, and Stephon Diggs jawing at each other down the tunnel as they're, they're entering the game. Of course, Stephon Diggs goes off for 108 yards and a touchdown, but Jair Alexander ends up with a 90.8 PFF grade. How did that happen, Steve? Was none of Diggs' production really happened against Jair Alexander. Yeah. That's, the first, that's the first answer. Um, and then, oh, by the way, he breaks up three passes as well. Yeah, Rita's Jair himself numbers. played well. Read his coverage numbers. Five targets into Jair's coverage. Zero catches. One interception. Okay, that was when Josh Allen randomly decided to just go nuts and start heaving the ball to Packers defenders. And three pass breakups. Jair Alexander was locked down in that game. Stephon Diggs absolutely made his point with emphasis, but it didn't happen against Jair Alexander. Primarily, it happened against Razul Douglas. Yeah, the one one time Diggs was open against Alexander, there was an overthrow in there, so that doesn't show up in the stats necessarily. But you still get a negative for Jair. But right. that shows just how how well he played otherwise, right? He yeah. didn't. It wasn't a perfect game across the board. He did give it up, give up, you know, a little bit, but made big plays. Yeah. On the so when you're thi- like, we all love to think about wide receiver versus versus corner matchups as these one on one battles that happen every single snap, time after time after time. 
but it rarely goes down that way. And in this game, like Jair versus Stefan Diggs was the story, but when Jair was covering, covering Stefan Diggs, generally speaking, he shut him down and Diggs had to go somewhere else to get his production. And you'll see stuff like this. Um, you mentioned like Jair's interception. It was a, it was a poor, poor decision by Allen. Great job by him um, going and making the play. Maybe the Packers should be playing more man coverage and taking advantage of having Jair Alexander. And they, but they don't play. Yeah, they don't I, play that as much though. Well, they have in in the last few weeks though. They have kind of dedicated Jair to that guy. I wonder if because Buffalo has Gabriel Davis, you right. know, they're like, I don't know if we want to dedicate just this one guy to Diggs and leave Gabriel Davis against whoever happens to be there. I, you know, I, I don't know. I think versus certain teams. Green Bay looks at it and says, maybe we just leave Jair where he is. And versus certain teams, it's like they have one threat. Let's take him away. All right. So the other uh, the other player that you wanted to explain was Bradley Bozeman of the yes. Ravens. Bradley Bozeman, because he's a great example of how sometimes the stats lie. So, so, so the last one, the stats did a pretty good job of explaining how Jair Alexander played relative to the, the kind of narrative of the game. But in this one, Bradley Bozeman comes out of the game with zero pressures allowed. But he had a pass blocking grade of 29.8. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You give a, you know, if your pass blocking grade is terrible, you should be giving up pressures. He had a 46.7 grade overall. So when you look at the plays, he had three of those what we call BDs in our system that are uh, losing blocks from a pass blocking standpoint. But the ball is gone before they get a chance to become pressure. One of which, by the way, he is literally face first in the ground after a second. Did like I, he is whooped. Did I say Bozeman of the Ravens, by the way? You might have done. My bad. Panthers. Of the Panthers. Um, but he is annihilated on this one play. Like face first in the turf. And his, his guy is bearing down on the quarterback. But it's a quick pass and the ball's gone. Um, he has a several assignment screw-ups. One of which, you know, one, he makes a complete mess of a stunt just there's another on a run play where he straight ignores the linebacker at the second level on a combo block just stays on the defensive tackle not because he's being held not because there's any great need to do it he just stays on him and there's no one else to pick up the linebacker nor is there ever anybody available to pick up like it's his man and he just never goes never goes to it so he makes several mental mistakes in the in the course of the game he also had one pressure that he gave up that was negated by a penalty so these are things that we count in the grading. I mean, only when the penalty has nothing to do with the pressure. Right. So the penalty was like in the secondary somewhere, defensive holding or pass interference or whatever. Nothing to do with the play on Bozeman, but it takes a, pen it takes a pressure away from his stats. It doesn't show up in the stats, but it happened. Well explained. Thank you. There we go. Bradley Bozeman, explain the grade. Always hit us up, unless, it's, unless we're wrong. Hit us up with uh, more explain the grade suggestions for next week. All right, it's time. We've got Seth Payne it's time. on the line. We're going to preview a little Houston Texans and Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to talk a little World Series, and uh, we'll get Seth in here whenever. Now this is where we're very professional. We get to – look at this. There he is. It was smooth. Yeah. We locked up. Look at that transition we had here. What's up, Welcome, Seth. Seth. Uh, hello. Uh, you guys, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, your producer – was sweating it out because I there's there's a huge shortage of USB to C adapters in my household right now, so um, <laughs> the uh, the ghost of Steve Jobs is laughing at me as uh, as I struggled to join you guys. I think there's a shortage of those everywhere. My wife was looking for one yesterday, and we didn't have one either. So I think those just don't really exist. Well, it's I'm glad we made it happen here, and um, I just want to start by saying I'm honored to have a late '90s Jaguars legend 
on the show with us. It's uh, it's my favorite team of all time, and it's the first time we've had anyone from the late '90s Jaguars here on the show. It so is. welcome. Is it really? Yeah. Mark Brunel turned could, us down. You know, we got to we got to get Jimmy or Keenan. Brunel. Uh, it seems like between Brunel and Baselli, especially because Brunel's been in the media a little bit, and yeah. Brunel uh, and and Baselli, obviously. I'll uh, I'll send both of them an angry text. Yes, please do. <laughs> S- send them to our show and Tony especially because he gets pretty angry about PFF and offensive line grades. Generally. Wait, is there? Oh, that's right. <laughs> is there like a is there like a late '90s group text? Could you get in on that? Oh yeah, not Did as much. No, text? it's it's hard because I can't. I don't get to go back to many of the Jaguars reunions or events that they have because I'm I'm working on Sundays. So uh yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's a few of the group texts, but not uh not not one that I'm involved in. <laughs> Tony Brackens and the other guys definitely have that. I mean but if uh, Seth's getting ostracized from the group text, you've got no shot. They'll let you me know? in. They'll let me in. <laughs> I, I don't think it's like a conscious ostracizing. <laughs> it's a it's just one of convenience. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Seth, we're, I, I don't know how much we want to preview the actual Eagles and Texans game. It's going to be a beatdown, right? But we want to get your take on the Texans. Re- but real quick, where do you stand on the World Series right now? Down 2-1 to one now. Phillies up, or Phillies are up 2-1, to one, but your Astros here down 2-1. to one. Look, I've, I've seen the Astros down before. Uh, they've been in this position. And, you know, you watch baseball long enough. You know that two to two to one can feel like an insurmountable deficit, but obviously it's not that much. The biggest the the biggest sweat that we have going right now in Houston is that two of your three best pitchers in Justin Verlander and Lance McCullers just don't seem to have it in the World Series, which is yeah. kind of an issue. Yeah. Philly's dropping bombs last night. So uh, anyway, find some spider tack, get those pitchers back on track, and uh, hey, 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 uh, not you it's guys. A, it's not a Houston dig. It's just uh, you know pitchers, baseball, pitchers day. in general. Uh, that's what we do. There is something that's kind of related to football, like a little little nugget that I think is relative to or that's relatable to football. Lance McCullers last night, aside from having control issues, was probably t- tipping his pitches to the Phillies, and and that's a much bigger part of the game than I think you ever really know in football because nobody like the smart guys that do it a lot. Don't really divulge their secrets. So trying to figure out if you're tipping um, is just, it's, it is a constant battle. And then also when you're trying to figure out if you've got a tip on somebody else, you you play that game and Baselli was really good at this. You might think you have a, you might think you have some tendency on Baselli from his stance, but Baselli is also quite possibly kind of baiting you with something and putting it on film for a little bit and then, and then switching it up on you. if he knows he's coming up on a smart guy. So that, that cat and mouse game and pitching and football is more similar than a lot of baseball people probably realize. Yeah. You mean, Sam, you're a pitcher now too. I mean, Mm -hmm. you realize the stress, like you've got what there's one hitter and then there's eight other guys staring at you every pitch to see if you're giving anything away to see if you're tipping right that's what they're doing um, yeah and so i was you know looking back at my career i had to be tipping based off my uh based off my stats i was definitely tipping pitches, oh yeah you know you have stats. is a you know what is a taller guy steve I, I would imagine just like it is with quarterbacks so there's so few really tall quarterbacks there there are a lot more really tall pitchers but all of those things, like a tell, like you've got bigger angles. Like it's yeah. easier to pick up a, a long limb that's at a, a little bit of a different angle <laughs> than some compact guy, wouldn't it be? It's, well, I mean, it was my advantage is what kept me around. It's like people think, well, you could change arm angles, you could do all this different stuff, and well, there's there's upside to your size, right? You get the ball on the hitter quicker. At the same time, it's tough to get all these moving parts going to the same. It's just it's such a precise motion 
to create power and to create accuracy, right? To create that control. It's tough yeah, to get all those. That's why Randy Johnson took forever. And then at, once he got it, he was incredible, right? So we're just kind of like late bloomers, the, the, oh, the really tall guys. That's what I would say. I see. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any Texans questions now, Sam? <laughs> Anything about the Texans? Or do you want you to guys are avoiding like hell talking about the Texans. Who are, look, it's an interesting bunch, guys. Yeah. They're, you've got Lovey Smith trying to do the best he can with some promising young guys in the secondary. I think, you know, Derek Stingley is is progressing along nicely in in that system where as you guys know, it's not like Tampa 2 of the 90s or early 2000s or anything like that, but it is still a penetrating front 7 and, and I think more importantly it's a penetrating front 4. So if you look at like let's talk about a defense people actually like talking about, the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills have a hell of a defense, but they still have a hard time stopping the run because they're just they're playing the run on their way to the quarterback. They're penetrating if, you know, they're disrupting. They're not necessarily always really gap sound. It works really well though when you have really good players. The Texans, the Texans, the Texans don't have anything remotely resembling a Warren Sapp or a Simeon Rice. They certainly don't have a Brian Urlacher. Uh, you know, any of those guys from those Hallmark de- uh, defenses, the Texans just don't have. So when they're trying to stop the run, there's no, you know, a lesser athlete can at least sit down and anchor and play technique. The Texans have these guys that are trying to shoot gaps. They don't get across the line of scrimmage. They get washed. And then all of a sudden, Derrick Henry just has, Derrick Henry has time to build up speed before he faces the single high safety who kind of throws himself at Derrick Henry's mercy at his ankles and, and gets washed aside. That's what watching the Texans defense is right now. Do well you- described. Yeah. Do you have a sense for what the Texans are going to do once? Because it feels like they haven't really started this whole rebuild yet. The whole thing was kind of on pause while they got rid of Deshaun Watson, got the the haul for for the trade haul for him, and you know the the contract off their books. But that was kind of too late in the day to actually do anything with it. Like the first real move we saw them make was with the Derek Stingley uh, draft pick. Next year is when they're actually going to start this whole project, right? What is this going to look like? That's and that's the million dollar question because for one, they had to clear a lot of cap space. They've got a whole bunch of dead money, like way more dead money than anybody else this year. But some of that is Nick Casario dead money. Some of that is signings or extensions or, or reworked contracts um, that that Nick Casario gave out. But a, a large part of it was just strategies. You had to clear the deck last year. You didn't have a first round pick in three out of four years. So this year. I don't know. I don't think they specifically targeted, you know, hey, we're going to go after defensive backs and then next year we're going to go after these guys. I was surprised that they drafted a couple of defensive backs the size they did just because Lovey Smith's always, Lovey Smith's always been uh, obsessed with the, the defensive linemen, right. you know, making, getting that three technique, getting in the pass rush. He does realize now that, okay, this is a, you got to be able to play man coverage in this league. So they took care of some of that. The nice thing about that is that Nick Casario is a guy that's been in a system that really respects coverage. And I think that if they decide to move on from Lovey Smith at some point, they they can hopefully have Derek Stingley and somebody to add alongside Steven Nelson, who's doing just fine for, for what they need right now. Um, but ultimately in the draft, they've, they've got to take defensive linemen uh, or in free agency via trade, whatever it is, they've got to get guys and get genuine heat 
on the passer. Because you guys, you guys talked up Jerry Hughes and appropriately so in the offseason. I think that was a really nice signing for the Texans. But you just you can't have a 34 year old guy that's um, yeah. you know doing he's doing a lot of the same things he's always done. But he's still he's not going to give you he's not going to give you 15 sacks a year. So they they need more actually high impact guys. But, Are you surprised that that group the the pass rushers the edge rushers in particular aren't as productive this year as we thought they might be? Like Jerry Hughes, yeah. But he's 34, right? Like, he's reaching the yeah. point where he should be declining. But, you know, uh, Akaronkwo, we really liked as a sort of situational guy that could maybe step into a bigger role and do better. Jonathan Grenard last season had a really good grade, looked really efficient in his snaps, felt like he'd be a better player given a bigger opportunity. None of those guys are really bringing that much. Yeah, I think one of the huge issues right now, and it's become increasingly an issue as the season has gone along, is just how bad they are at stopping the run so if you look at you know <laughs> if you look at what the titans did last week they, they passed one time in the second half uh, you know there's hard to generate a pass rush when, when that's happening but beyond that i do think that you know i guess uh you know maybe robert quinn would be a good example if we look at like jerry hughes and robert quinn so robert quinn went against the texans and didn't have a great game um yeah, I thought that Laramie Tunsil did a good job against Robert Quinn. And I know Robert Quinn hasn't had a great season, but they'll see Robert Quinn again against the Eagles. I think Quinn in that defense all of a sudden might have a lot more opportunities because the one-on-ones become more pure one-on-ones. The, the stat that you guys had on Grenard last year was actually a really good one, which was the uh, – is it the TP – it's a true pass rush when a guy's just isolated – and it's a genuine one-on-one pass rush. There's no screens. There's no yeah, scrambles. Yeah, takes out screens and play um, and action Gr- and stuff. Yep. Yeah, Grunard in those situations did really well. Uh, I don't know how many of those he's had this year because teams can just simply, uh, you know, they can max protect. They can do play action. The linebackers just get duped like hell. <laughs> These linebackers look like like little kittens watching a ping pong match on the television when play action comes they just fall for it every time and then they sprint like hell to get back to their spots so there's a lot of things working against the guys that are there and the guys that are there still weren't going to be your your premier all pro types all right so I want, let's talk a little bit about uh, eagles texans here and um it is fascinating we do get the two cities houston and philly going up against each other in football and in baseball um what should fans be looking for from the texans what are Texans fans looking for as far as development with the team? And is there anything um, they can do to take on? You know, look, it's the, one of the best teams in the NFL and the Eagles. How yeah. can the Texans pull this upset here? I, I thought long and hard about this. For, I, I'd love to give you a non-cliche answer. <laughs> I'd love to tell you. Tell me to force some turnovers, you, you know, yeah, explosive play and special teams. But I can't even give you a cliche answer. All right, let's start with the biggest cliches that you say. This is your go-to on a Wednesday in a media session. Well, first it starts with stopping the run. Well, we're the worst in the league on yards per carry, except for, I don't know, maybe the the Lions at this point or something, uh, (laughs) or the Chargers. So that's not going to happen. Let's see, protecting the passer. My God, Uh, the tackles, the tackles are doing all right. The interior defensive line, is just an absolute disaster right now. Excuse me, interior offensive line is just a disaster right now. And you got a couple of journeymen at center and right guard, but Kenyon Green, the left guard, is he's shown some promise. He's he's very much in that stage right now where he's trying to learn when when he can be physical like he was in college and when he has to play with finesse. 
And I think uh, and a lot of times right now, he's not doing either. So that's working against them. It's, it's going to have to be somehow they muster some kind of a run game not to set up the play action or anything, but just simply to get to second and set to, you know, second and six and third and three. Um, and then some kind of rhythm and timing pass game where uh, they've been able to pull it off, you know, versus the Raiders a couple of weeks ago, they did it and they were able to kind of march on down the field, but that's the Raiders pass defense. That's not the Eagles right now. I'm not like, I usually can, I can usually talk myself into a team having a chance at winning a game. It's, it's really, really hard here. The only, <laughs> the only hope I would give people, is that the Texans do have an ability to stick around and keep it close. They are a, they are a bend, but ultimately play pretty good red zone defense and not break completely. So these games, these games have been closer. So yeah. if you're a gambler, you can talk yourself into taking the Texans with the points. Uh, but, but as far as actually competing to win the game, I, the score was three, nothing last week at one point, seven to three at one point. And it just, it, it felt like the Texans might as well be getting beat by 21 points. They're a bend and then break defense. There you go. You know, they'll, they'll bend yeah. and then they'll bend and they'll bend. And then eventually it'll just snap and it'll all go to hell, but it'll take a while yeah. to get there. They've got, they've allowed, the second fewest passing touchdowns in the NFL. Oh, there you go. And okay, part of that is because teams just say, well, okay, <laughs> why would we run. bother passing? <laughs> um, but they do get down into the red zone, and I think that's where you can see the strength of the team on defense is the secondary. And, you know, you know, all of a sudden when you get into the red zone, geometry is your friend in the defensive backfield, right. and those guys take on more significance. So the defense becomes better uh, significantly just because the better team, the better guys on their team have a bit of an advantage. So that's, uh, th that's the, the hope I can give you is that if you're putting money on this game, there would be a good reason to go with the Texans. So we've been asking all of our, uh, our guests in this midweek slot to, to make a pick for the game. We almost got there. It's 14 points right now. The Eagles are favored. Are you taking the Texans with the points or are the Eagles actually still going to cover that? The Texans, let's see, if I'm going through the, in my mind, I believe uh, it's got to be six of the last seven games now. Uh, they've, they've been within – they've either been tied or had the lead at the, uh, at the, fourth, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, something close to that because they keep it close. So I would take the Texans with the points. Uh, they, could, they, could easily, they could easily lose by 10 uh, without even a garbage touchdown at right. the end and yet still be nowhere close to winning the game. It's, a, it's, a, it's an anomaly of a fun time there in the second half of a Texans game. Re really quick. So uh, last week, Davis Mills saved his best two throws for garbage time, which was part of the reason yeah. why they had that last uh, touchdown. Um, really quick, Davis Mills, is he going to be the starting quarterback next year for the Texans? I don't think so. Uh, if he is, it's only because they're trying to get Bryce Young or whomever else they, they end up drafting yeah. ready. I, I think there's a chance. I'm, I don't like to – look, we all love the Geno Smith experience this year. You don't want to count anybody out too prematurely, but sure. it's, uh, it's not looking good for him right now. He, I'm going to take the Eagles even at a two-touchdown lead. Where are you going, Steven? Um, how did I finish last week, Sam? Bad. Not good. Not good. So my, I went, uh, Seth, oh, I've been so bad. I know, this year. you did the opposites. Yeah, I mean, yeah and it still yeah. didn't work. By the way, it's always good to have, you know, a listener like Seth on yeah, the show, which is great. Um, so I'm going to go back to my own takes again, because they're all bad now. Everything's bad. I'm taking the Eagles to, to win by like three scores here. Three touchdowns. The Eagles are definitely going to cover the 14. Yeah, you they are. are I'm, I'm warning you guys. They are plucky in a way that I has know, nothing to do with actually yeah. winning football you gotta, games. I'm a uh, sucker. 
You got five wins last week. Even you needed Monday Night Football to get you to five. See, now it's the time of the season I can start going with my. Uh, so you're going to Eagles. I'm ready. Yeah, Is I'm that... going to Eagles here. All right, Seth. I need to ask you this before we before we let you out of here. Um, I found a picture of you on the internet that has to be like rookie year Jags Seth Payne. Yeah. Uh, you you're one of those few people that I've seen in the past that has that neck wider than their head thing. First of all, <laughs> have you been like comparing training notes with Davis Mills? Is this like a a club that you guys have or secondly, just what is the secret to having this giant Takeo Spikes neck going on? The the neck flexion machine. Like that's that's nice. all it is. It's pure and simple. There's uh, there's a machine that you you basically it's like an old school nautilus machine some of them have chains some of them are weighted plates and and you hit that hard and a lot of guys a lot of guys kind of slack their way through it but if you hit that <laughs> you really, did it really hard because i used to get stingers a lot oh, yeah. um so i had yeah i had a freakishly large neck which i was proud of at the time and now i just look at it as one big mound of sleep apnea so uh, I, I hope i never have a neck like that again it doesn't sleep apnea will hit you whether it's muscle or fat it does not discriminate it seemed to your, the neck seemed to diminish throughout your career like rookie rookie year Seth Payne's neck was a, a, a sight to behold and then by the yeah. time we got to the Texans it was like yeah I mean there's a neck there but it's not it's not what it used to be you know he's let it he's let it slide part of that is uh, you know I think bowing up for the picture itself when you come from <laughs> like okay so when you come out of Cornell you've got some scouts and coaches and everything that are going to kind of have a natural bias against you they're going to wonder like all right is this just some fancy pants kid or something? So you got to go the opposite direction and go full incognito on him. Right. And I mean, Richie incognito. So, which is, yeah. is ironically, that means very conspicuous. So you got to go very <laughs> conspicuous incognito on him Another and getting day. fights in training camp. My rookie year, I was getting in fights every other day. Oh, Tom Coughlin must have like, loved that. Coughlin loves that stuff. Look at this kid from Cordell. He's feisty. He's, he's a fighter. You know what? Coughlin loved that until yeah. Yeah. here's a good Jacksonville story for you, Steve. Yeah. Coughlin loved that until Marcus Stroud got in a fight in 2001 in his rookie training camp. And he broke his hand on a friend of mine, Mark Banowitz's face. <laughs> um, so uh, he, he punched Mark Banowitz in the face, broke his hand, and he ended up being out for a good amount of time. And then from that moment forward, like Coughlin kind of stopped being so old school. I think, yeah, Coughlin was kind of a guy like old Marine it's, instructor that yeah. wanted guys to, yeah. to be right on the edge. All of he a changed sudden, after that. All of a sudden was like, it's come to my attention that people can get hurt during fights. They, they, they're totally <laughs> off the table now. Yeah, if the yep. Cornell kid gets into a fight, fine. But it's my first round pick, Marcus <laughs> Stroud. So let's let's can that. Dude, Mark Banowitz was, he was a big guy himself. He went to Syracuse and he was like six, seven, real broad shouldered guy. But for, <laughs> for training camp that year, uh, we had done something that I thought was, was uh, really a humanitarian move. We usually shaved guys' heads. Marcus had a real nice, nice set of braids. So he like begged us not to shave his hair. So, and you know, like Gary, uh, uh, Gary Walker was probably the guy who was actually in charge of shaving the hair. So Gary's, <laughs> Gary said, all right, we'll shave your eyebrows instead. And Marcus <laughs> agreed to it. So Marcus, you know, like Marcus is a, a, a huge human being. So Banowitz is squared off. Banowitz is squared off against Stroud out there in training camp. And, and Stroud had got Banowitz's helmet off. And Banowitz said he was just looking at Stroud with no eyebrows, like in his <laughs> eyes wide, looking like he was about to devour him. And, and, and Banowitz just like, oh man, I do not want to be here right now. And, uh, but he fared all right. That's amazing. I love it. We'll have to have a full late 90s Jaguar show again when uh, when oh, Sam God. leaves and I, you know, yeah. 
We'll, we'll have a lot of fun. Thank we'll God fun for that, that caveat. Seth Payne, Sports Radio 610 over in Houston. Good luck to the Houston Astros. A ton of luck to the Houston Texans against the Eagles. You're taking the Texans to cover that 14, huh? Texans cover. Oh, and uh, Seth Payne show on YouTube. I'm doing the YouTube thing. You oh, nice. Seth Payne. Show. Yeah, what else? Yeah. What else do you want to plug? Do it all right now. Seth Payne I show. My, I, mean, I guess my Twitter, at Seth C. Payne, and then my, uh, my YouTube channel, which has like three videos right now. Seth Payne show. That's great. Well, if you're going to do some late 90s Jaguars on your YouTube channel, I'm happy to, uh, you know, relive uh, the glory days. Steve, honestly, have me on to talk. Those guys, there were some personalities on those teams. Tony Bracken's one of my all-time favorite personalities. And, and no, nobody would ever know it because he was very private and very quiet. But he was just, he's an, he was an incredibly unique human being. Is a incredibly unique yeah. human being. But yeah, I could tell you some good stories. Love it. Well, Appreciate you being uh, part of the show here today, Seth. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely do it again sometime. My Thank pleasure. you so Go much. Stros. And Texans, too. <laughs> yes. Go Houston in general. So there we go. Seth Payne and our first time with yeah. uh, late 90s Jaguars on here. It's good work. Exciting. Yeah. That was a good start exciting. for yeah. the late 90s Jag season. That we're probably we'll work our have. way up. We'll work our way up to uh, Baselli and well, Jimmy now you can Keenan show, you know, now you can show Mark Brunel that, like, see, look, the other guys from your team, they're, you know, they've, 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 they've given it a shot. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm not just a crazy stalker. I have, like, a show, you know? Yeah, I'm not just a crazy guy. No. With a so Brunel can, jersey from 98. Can, uh, can we put up that picture of Seth on the screen, the giant-necked Seth Payne from his rookie, what I assume was his rookie season? Do that, and then There's I'll tell NFL you where the uh, PFF there. NFL podcast, what it's powered by today. And yeah. then we'll get into Sam throwing baseball. Well, you can probably you can probably do the ad read, give Tyler a chance to get the picture. Let's do that. Let's up. tell people that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Fun show today. There he is. Yeah, There's that. Big neck. Monstrous neck. I mean, the Richie Incognito thing is a good call out. Like, Richie Incognito had a neck yeah. like that. Just this. It is also interesting how you he's, like, out of Cornell and is like, I'm fighting these yeah. stereotypes. I'm I mean, tough. Makes sense. You know? I'm not just uh, not just, all just the, all just the neck machine. Just the cranking it that might be all they had at cornell is the thing just the neck machine you know we got one we got one power rack and a neck machine that's all you got all right um some people already know the results of yeah i mean anyone that looked on twitter for example yeah so people might already know the results there's a baseball that you have right there the major league baseball we have uh, we have it labeled with the um you know what exactly happened larry from the reds hooked us up with the stadium Yes. Albeit the bullpen was what we were using. But the stadium looked beautiful. beautiful. I mean, it was just... So beautiful that we weren't nice. anywhere near the grass. Yeah, couldn't touch the grass. Messed but it was... Uh, great American Ballpark looked great. Appreciate Larry from the Reds setting this whole thing up. Absolutely. But uh, if we're ready, are we ready for the video? Are we going to be able to hear the video? I don't know. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yes. All right. So um, are we going to do... And we'll do an outro. We'll do it after this. So let's check it out. Let's see if... Uh, this is Sam trying to throw 60 miles an hour. Those temperatures just a little bit, though, on the cooler side out there. So here we are. Basically, what you see is what you're going to get the next few days around here. Lots of sunshine and temperatures that are still a little cooler than they should be, you know, now for the first full week of 
So let's talk about outside right now. We've got perfectly blue skies. And All right, the day is finally here. We've talked about this for a while. This is months in the making. Can Sam throw 60 miles an hour? Special thanks to the Cincinnati Reds. That's right, the Reds led us onto the stadium. Dirt only. We're not touching that beautiful grass right there, but they led us into the bullpen, Sam. Throw 60. Yeah, I got my uh, throwing coach ready. Yeah. Randy, I got a glove. Going warm it up with a rugby ball. It's a nice glove right there. Yeah, it's yours. Spalding special. Uh-huh. Shout out to Spalding, my uh, my glove sponsor. This but, is the second attempt at throwing a baseball. Of course, we're just in a park with the radar gun to see where we were. But we're doing this. We've already raised over $2,500 for Needs Inc., who uh, supply um, service dogs for people in need who don't have forty dollars to $60,000 apparently you need for one. So a big thank you to everyone that's donated. Keep on going. We're going to add money to it, depending on what our final number is with this, uh, with this thing. That's baseball. All right, let's do it. We're going to the bullpen. Uh, we'll get a few warm-ups in. Right? Get a few warm-ups and then see how fast they have to Giants receivers are doing right now, it feels like it must be 200% worth of warm up. So, this is how we're going. I'm a little nervous. I know, I heard Sam was uh, closing in on 60. We have two guns here, so it increases his odds a little bit. And uh, his confidence is uh, hurting my confidence a little bit, so I think he might do it. I think he's got it. I've uh, been giving him some pointers the past few days, you know, tell him to ice the arms, stretch it out a little bit. I think he's going, I think he's going at 63. He gave us a fresh new major league ball. 63 miles an hour. 60 miles per hour here. You think it could happen? It's at 57. 57 is where I'm going. It's a question of what you're going to wear. Steve was like, the last thing you want is a big, long sleeve, billowy thing. It's going to be drag, wind resistance, right? Now, I didn't have like a long sleeve Under Armour or whatever, so what's the next best thing? Dave, what is, what it? is it? What is it? Uh oh. <laughs> Full sleeveless. <laughs> Gonna cut out all the drag here. Now look, I thought about shaving. Zach shaving Taylor should take, take out notes. all the wind resistance, but that felt like a bridge too far. <laughs> so this is the real deal. Yeah. Are you ready? You ready to go? Yeah. What the hell different? Just be there. Oh, I can't use the throwing coach and the manual to draw. 
Yeah, you hit 60. You're sitting at 54 the entire time. Yeah, it was a little worrying for a while. Uh-huh. Jacked it up to 58 a couple times. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then the Major League ball. And then the Major League ball, bam, we hit 60, and it immediately stopped because nothing better can happen. So, yeah, I'm guaranteed. impressed. Guaranteed. Hit it. You did it. I'm I impressed. guarantee. My actual words were, I guarantee that the first number will be a six. It yeah. might be the only, you know, turns only out, hired the six. Turns out you're better at baseball than I anticipated. Yeah. You yeah. made contact against me last year. We were 60 this year. Yeah. What's, your I, next, what's your next feat of strength? Well, I can't trash talk baseball too much because the nice guy from the Reds is standing over there and, you know, he let us in here and stuff. Yeah. So I'll, I'll think about how to align your sport for the next podcast we do. But I'm happy. Like, we've guaranteed 60. This is really what it is. I'm disappointed. I mean, you, okay, whatever. You've, you've dismissed my obvious athletic gifts for a while. But this is mud in the eye for all the people that were guessing 42, 45, you know? That's what yeah, this is. Yeah, nobody, the 40s was always ridiculous. But I thought, you know, 54 to 58 seemed, uh, like, seemed I mean, like look, the right number. I was on for a while, but you warmed up, you got to 60, and I got to give you credit. There were a lot of low 50s. Gordon McGinnis at 53, and I would blow out my shoulder today. That was his guess. But uh, you still standing. Credit to Dave Solfaro here, the guy that helped set all this up. He always believed in me. He was motivating me the whole way. And this is, Dave, this is for you. This is for you right here, 60. That's what it is. That's all I got. You did it. So there we go. You did it. Hit 60. Congratulations. Hit 60 and quit. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. There might have been more in there, but frankly, as soon as the first number was a six, I was done. I'm well, back. I'm proud of you. I, I doubted you. I thought I thought you'd be low 50s, and you were for a lot for of the quite time. a while. For yeah. a lot of the time, I was a little bit concerned by the consistent the consistent cadence of 54 that was coming back for a while. Yeah, that was worrying for a period, and then we bounced yeah. to 58 because you were pointing out, you know, it's tough it's, to go. It's a pretty big that. leap it's to big, go yeah. from 54 to 60. So when we hit a few of them in a row, I was a little bit concerned until we hit 58. It's like, all right, that, I, knew, I already knew I could hit 58, so finally that was still back there. And then it felt like, you know, 58 to 60 is achievable. You really owe it to uh, Larry from the Reds, who brought the Major League ball for you. 100%. The um, That's what did seams it. are a little bit tighter yeah. on that. You throw a little bit harder. It did feel better, other yeah. than the first one, which went yeah. pretty wayward. And there it is. That's the Major League ball. We rode on it the day ball. that Sam threw 60 miles an hour. And, um, and we it signed happened. it, which turns out is harder than you think it is. In yeah. addition to pitching being harder than you think it is, just signing yeah. a ball is harder than you think it yeah, is. Yeah, you think it's easy just signing a, a round yeah. baseball it's all the time. Tricky. It's got all the grip. autographs I had to sign through the years writing on that yeah. round object. It's got some grip to it. You can't, it doesn't, you know, pen yeah. doesn't glide over the ball. It's tricky. Oh, there's an art to it. There's yeah. an art to it. But uh, congratulations to you. Thank you. And uh, thanks to everybody for, who made this happen. We do this for fun, but we do it for charity as well. 20, where are we at? We're, oh, we have to figure out who's... You, we're, we owe money to this thing between us somehow. What are we giving? We were we are we decided heading into that that we were going to give what like a hundred dollars for either mile, any mile an hour over under. And we yeah, I'll throw in a hundred. I'll throw in. So we'll both hit it hundred because yeah, we both hit. We'll both throw in a hundred here. We're at yeah. twenty six fifty five right now. Beautiful. So the the link will be in this description. It's still my pinned tweet on Twitter at pff underscore sam. We're at twenty six hundred and fifty five dollars. I am going to be harassing people that predicted numbers in the forties, <laughs> demanding money be donated to this thing for the insult that that was given. You're going to be you're like a player that searches his name after the game. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to find anybody that, that argued or claimed that I would only hit in the 40s and demand that they donate a significant amount of money. 
Yeah. Well, congrats, man. It was fun, though. That was yeah. How did your pitching mechanics look from afar? The how did you feel about watching? So yourself? I feel that the actual throwing part looked okay. It's the the awkward, quirky. My wind up looked like Charles Barkley's golf swing. You know, where he's like. It, 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 you know, there's like pausing yeah. midway through it. Now you can see why I had doubts that you would hit six. Sure. Yeah. That's what my like the leg work looked like that. You know, there's like a pause and then a, a hitch and a pause. And then, but yeah. once I was actually pot committed to the throw, I feel like the throwing mechanics looked okay. What do you, I mean, you're, you're the pitching coach. Ignore from the shoulder up, yeah. you know, how did it look? Because forget the leg stuff. I mean, it was, it was all right. I mean, there was. <laughs> Maybe something to work with. <laughs> you might have 10 more miles an hour in you, is the thing. It, but it, it reinforces my opinion that the people that, like, airmail a ceremonial first pitch, like, into the bleachers or under the, you know. Well, like I said, you airmailed a couple. There. But also. You just I, never know which one's going to be but, the one. But I airmailed a couple trying to hit 60. When we were just warming up, Yeah, you, I think every one of those hit you right in the head. Your like, accuracy was good. Like, every one of those warm-up ones was straight down the middle. I was impressed. I'm impressed with your baseball skills now. You, I know we, we know that you can throw 60, and we know that you can hit my low 70s-mile-an-hour fastball straight up into the air. Yes. We yes. know those two things. Well, I, the, straight up into the air and off to right field a bit when it's a warm-up before they turn the cameras on. There yeah. was a... Uh, there was a few. There's already one suggestion for the next charity drive, doing something football-related, whether it's field goals, whatever it is. Somebody in I the like chat that. said, I'd rather see Sam run inside zone as part of the scout team. So... Hmm. I mean, I think we should talk to we should talk to the Bengals about um, <laughs> how much they would hard. like to injure us. Yeah, like you know how the uh, the stuff that goes on Twitter, like could the average human pick up four yards, you know, on a carry yeah. or something like that. I've I feel like the- we would need to throw me as like the running back on like a you know a play. Yeah, I mean, look, I generally am in favor of a concept that way of that of that description. On the other hand, I've seen the Bengals' offensive line this year. And oh, I, man. Wow. Look at you. I just – do you want to take a carry behind that line? No. Give me I mean, the Eagles' offensive not line. Not full tackle either. We're playing thump, right? I'll, We're I'll take an inside zone carry with the Eagles' offensive line blocking for me. I'm more of a power counter type of runner, <laughs> to be honest. I don't want to play inside zone. I don't have that one cut you zone know, ability. You know? I'm more – downhill anyway we need suggestions is what we're saying here we so nfl podcast at pff.com give us suggestions for both the charity we can donate to the next time and what the hell is we're going to do for the next time i like the idea of the field goal competition i also like the idea of like expanding that a little bit and making a multi-sport we could have a we could have a field goal kick we could have drop kicks from with a rugby ball we could have soccer penalties like the whole oh, like a whole competition here yeah, yeah you, we should go back to like me. maybe a competition for right. multiple charities yeah so we got some other stuff uh, in the works but again we appreciate everybody that's donated to not just this charity but all of the ones that we've had um, we're not going to do Johnny Knoxville type of stuff like oh let's take a kickoff against you know Tennessee football I mean look I'm did. willing to experience a certain volume of pain but you know, I don't, I'm not. I'm too old. Four kids. There's a certain but if volume. We're thumping, maybe but Johnny we're thumping. Knoxville like got himself like blown to oblivion by taking on a cow head on head. Like that guy was knocked out cold for like 20 minutes, and like, I don't want that. No, we don't need that. Somebody's asking me to uh, saying I should pass rush against Tony Baselli. That would be funny. He's older than me, by the way. I'm not the same age He's as older Tony. And he Buscelli. doesn't have any knees anymore. Does is it knees that did him in? No, so maybe I've got a chance. Sure. Yeah. I mean, probably not, but no, I've got no chance. All right. Is that it for today? Yeah, I believe we're done. Great show. And uh, appreciate Seth Payne being a part of it. Appreciate 
uh, all of our sponsors and of course um, all the great work Tyler and Dave and everybody behind the scenes here doing uh, everything they could to put together the video Larry. and Larry from the Reds and uh, letting us have some fun over at Great American. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again tomorrow breaking down all of the week nine NFL action.